Welcome back to Never Found, Never Forgotten. This week um, is a little bit different of an episode. We're going to talk about a case, um, the disappearance of Phoenix Colden. But we're also going to talk about um, sort of the racial disparity between reporting missing people and the coverage those missing people receive um, by the media. Um, So... If if we mention, you know, Elizabeth Smart, Lacey Peterson, Natalie Holloway, you've probably heard of at least one of them, right? Hopefully. But if not, this is probably not a podcast. For <laughs> um, but um, I know that I had never heard of Phoenix Colden. Um, and many of the podcast or the people that we cover on this podcast, we had not heard about. And so, and that was really our goal with this podcast is to cover some cases that don't get the media attention that, that they might deserve. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the media and how they report these things and also Phoenix's, the circumstances, circumstances surrounding those, her disappearance. Phoenix was 23 when she went missing just days before Christmas on December 18th, 2011. She had returned home from church and her mother saw her sitting in her car in the driveway. Her mom thought this was kind of odd, but Phoenix often did this to talk on the phone. Her father saw her pull out of the driveway around 2.20 and assumed that she was running to the store or maybe to a friend's house. Friends and family described Phoenix as being responsible and intelligent. She was homeschooled most of her life and was a junior at the University of Missouri at St. Louis. Um, her friends said that she was very religious. She was also very musically talented, playing many different instruments, and she was a regional fencing champion, which Warrior. is super fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, so she her faith was super important to her. Um, she had all of these musical talents and then fencing. She was kick ass. She was, she was a badass. Yeah. When Phoenix didn't re home, return home by about midnight, her parents knew something was wrong. The next morning when Phoenix still hadn't come home, they started calling around to her friends, to relatives, and even to hospitals. Finally, they ended up calling the police initially to see if Phoenix's car had been in any accidents the prior night. They gave police her license plate number, but nothing showed up in the police computer database. It wasn't until January 2nd, about two weeks after Phoenix went missing, that a family friend located Phoenix's car in an impound lot. They had learned that Phoenix's car had been take, had been discovered on the night of December 18th at about 5.30 p.m., just a few hours after Phoenix had left home. The car was abandoned at an intersection in St. Louis about 30 minutes from her home. The car was running and the driver's side door was open. Phoenix's belongings, such as her purse, her shoes, her phone, and I, th- I read even her glasses, were found inside the car. Um, when I was researching, I found a little uh, like controversy around whether it was left running or not. Oh, 
Like some some things say the initial report said it was left running, and then later the the cop who initially showed up on scene said it was not running, and all her doors were closed. Okay, so I don't know. Yeah, so so we already had these inaccuracies yeah. Yeah. popping up very early in the case. Um, like, was the car running? Was it not running? Were the doors closed? Were they open? We do know for sure that the car was abandoned at this... I just feel like those are such big details. Yes. To me, if you find someone's car running with the doors open, you think, like, forceful, something horrible mm-hmm. happened. If you find their car parked with the doors closed and off, then you think, okay, maybe they broke down and went somewhere. Maybe they stopped here and, like, right. she chose to leave. Like, Well, and when I first read it... When it said that her car was found abandoned at an intersection, I envisioned like on the road. Running at a red light. Yeah. Yes. And it, that's not the case. It was like off onto the curb. Like there was a grassy uh, sort of space. Okay. So it was off the road. It wasn't on In the traffic. roadway, but it was still abandoned in a way that was bizarre. Yeah. Police had the vehicle towed from the site and impounded. Phoenix's parents, Lawrence and Goldia, 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 expressed Goldia? expressed their frustration that the connection between Phoenix's disappearance and her car were not made earlier. They believed that they lost valuable time in the search for their daughter. Yeah, which, so how frustrating. Yes, yeah, so the two weeks had passed already. So, so when they initially called the police. They gave the license plate number. Nothing was found. Nothing showed up in the database. Even though the car is already... Even though the car is in police possession. Already impounded, right. Yes. So, you know, whether that's a, I can, a technical I can see their error, frustration. A computer glitch, you know, whatever it is. Like, something went wrong, and now they've lost two weeks. And we know how important, like, the first few hours are, let alone... Two weeks now. The first the 48. Isn't there some statistic? Yeah. If the crime isn't solved in the first 48 hours, your chances go down like significantly. Yeah. yeah. So Lawrence and Goldia have been frustrated with the lack of communication with the police regarding the investigation and also with the media coverage. They compare the coverage they received with that. Um, they they compare the coverage they received for their daughter to that of Natalie Holloway. Um. And so we we can see where their frustration is coming from. Right. I would definitely be frustrated. Sorry. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, over 800,000 Americans are reported missing every year. 60% of those reported missing are people of color. In 2018, black Americans represented 30% of all missing persons cases, yet African Americans comprise only 13% of the U.S. population. Sadly, only one-fifth of black missing persons are covered by media outlets. Which to me is yeah. astounding. So, um, so sixty percent of the cases that are reported are people of color, and so what that means is a lot of times people are reported missing, but they're found soon after. Like, you know, they weren't truly missing, right? Um, but a, a report was made. Thirty percent of all missing persons cases that are open and active. 30% of those are African Americans. Yet 13% they represent 13% of the population, which that statistic alone surprised surprised me. I thought 
they made up a it much was larger more equal yeah yeah but only one fifth of those cases are being covered by media outlets and this includes you know like the big media outlets that we think of like ABC NBC mm-hmm. CBS CNN but also like even local affiliates um aren't picking these stories up very um early on and so according well, to if you think about it can you name a big case that has a african-american no yeah no i couldn't but yet you see and we'll get into this too and so we're gonna throw a lot of statistics at you we have a lot of research with this and our sources will all be cited um in our show notes um but we just wanted to share that there is this disparity and most people aren't aware of it because when you think of missing people you think of what you see on the media and that's not a true representation of what's really happening so according to an article from william and mary journal on race gender and social justice they quote um missing white woman syndrome refers to the overabundance of coverage that mainstream media outlets dedicate to missing persons cases of white women and its correlating lack of coverage of missing people of color end quote with the large numbers of people going missing each year, it is not possible to cover every single case, especially when one statistic says that 98% of all children reported missing are found within days and that the majority are not kidnapped by a stranger but a family member. And we are by no means saying that these children are not safe and that um, that these are any less significant um, but they are recovered quickly. So 98% are recovered quickly. That leaves us 2% that are the cases that we see covered. Legitimate, yeah. Missing persons. While it's impossible to cover all the missing persons cases, we have to do better. Parents in their darkest moments filled with fear and anxiety should not have to plead with the media outlets to have their children's stories told and their pictures shared with a large audience. The Coldens have dedicated their own money on researches for their daughter. They hired a private investigator hoping to uncover more leads. They had spent over $50,000 on the private investigator. In fact, their home was even in foreclosure because of the financial toll of searching for their daughter. And at one point I read that they had to plead with police to like, like share this information. Because I think I read at one point they had... Um, reached out to a media outlet and the media outlet said, hey, we're not going to cover this unless the police give us this information. Mm-hmm. And the police didn't give them the information, so the media is not covering it. So it's like right. this vicious cycle of... Um, and so there are three um, major theories about what happened to Phoenix Colden. And the first was that she was abducted by sex traffickers. St. Louis is in the top 20 areas in the U.S. linked to human trafficking. Interstate 70 runs through St. Louis and is linked to the movement of human and drug trafficking. The area in which Phoenix Carr was found is known as a hotspot for human trafficking and also a high crime area. Her parents have even gone to strip clubs and similar... Um, her parents even have gone to strip clubs and similar places sharing Phoenix's photo. Which is so sad. Yeah, they're hoping uh, someone someone knows something has seen her, yeah. 
Another theory is that she was met with foul play. All activity on her bank account, social media accounts, and cell phones stopped after the disappearance. However, police said that there was no other DNA found in her car. Police are concerned for her safety. The private investigator linked Phoenix to several different men in the months prior to her disappearance. Her parents did suggest that Phoenix may have gotten involved with the wrong people because of a boyfriend. However, there has been little evidence to prove foul play in any way. I think it's logical to assume, assume that foul play of some sort is involved, either by someone she knew or by a stranger. Right, like even if it was someone she was introduced yeah. to by this boyfriend or a complete random stranger, I think it. Um, we can all assume that it's foul play of some sort. And even if it's sex trafficking, you know, that's definitely foul right. play too. Um, the last theory... Um, that we hear over and over again about missing people um, is that Phoenix ran away. Um, through the investigation, there were several things that were learned about Phoenix. First is that she had not registered for classes for the fall semester before she went missing, and her parents did not know this. And I'm, I, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Like, she's a 23-year-old young woman. That's the time that you're finding yourself. Right. And figuring your life out. And maybe she was just like, you know what? I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm going to take a semester off. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I also don't put a whole lot of stock in it, too, because she could have even missed the deadline for registering for classes. Right. And, like, plan to do it later. Like, yeah, she's 23 and probably should have made that deadline. But I feel like that's not an indicator of her running, running away. away. Yeah. yeah. Um. Second, the second thing that people point to is that Phoenix had moved out of the family home when she had turned 18. She told her parents that she was living with a female friend. However, they learned that it was she was actually living with a boyfriend. So remember, they're very religious, so it was kind yeah. of against. Yeah. Um, she Phoenix had moved back home in 2011. Um and her boyfriend is not a suspect in the case, but her parents speculate about him getting her involved with these other people. I personally also don't put much stock in her lying to her parents about this boyfriend. I feel like, like that's what... I feel like that's what yeah. 18-year-old girls do. You know, like... I, so much time has passed that I don't think she would run away and not have contact with anyone from her life. Um, and... She didn't touch her bank account. Like, what 23-year-old right. has access to Extra hidden money. stashes yeah. of cash? What is really sad, um, and that we've seen in some of our other missing persons cases, is that this family has been a victim of a few hoaxes. People from across the country have called reporting sightings of Phoenix. Each time, the sightings turn out to be pranks. Police say there are a few leads in this case, so television executives defend their coverage of missing persons. After all, Natalie Holloway disappeared under very strange circumstances, and her parents are missing a child, and her family deserves answers. We in no way want to diminish her disappearance or her family's pain and suffering, but it's important that the media accurately portrays missing persons. The information they are reporting forms the ideas that citizens hold. It's easy to understand why people would think the majority of missing people are young, white, wealthy women, because that's all we ever see on the news. Yeah. Yeah, and executives point to competition from other news stories as being a factor in how missing persons cases are reported. After all, people who went missing right before or after 9-11 
probably didn't receive equal coverage due to the news reporting those terrorist attacks. So, like, I, I understand that, like, and that's fair. Um, but there's also evidence that there's an unconscious bias in journalism, that women are viewed as more sympathetic than men, and the whole damsel in distress idea we hold leads to this real consequence in media reporting. Factors such as class, age, and sexuality are also factors, not just race, um, that impact media reporting on missing people. So wealthier, younger people, and straight people are more likely to have their stories told. And the impact of this is really um, getting the news out there so that people can help with the search, they can be on the lookout, that photo is being shared, mm -hmm. so you know what you're looking for. Um, and I read something about, like, the search parties that are formed. Like, people will come out to volunteer their time for these search if parties. If they know about them, yeah. Yeah. And the more people, you know, the more likelihood mm -hmm. that something's going to be found. Anyone with information on the disappearance of Phoenix Colden can contact the St. Louis Police Department at 314-615-5317. As for what we can do to ensure fair coverage, it is to ensure that media outlets implement policies for reporting missing people that are fair and equitable. As for what we can do to ensure fair coverage is to ensure that the media outlets implement policies for reporting missing people that are fair and equitable. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has begun to work with police departments and law enforcement organizations to ensure equitable investigation of missing persons cases. Training models for law enforcement agencies are important to ensure that all missing people receive the same treatment. And here, we will continue to try to report cases that you may have not heard about, cases that need more attention and that remain unsolved for many years later. Um, that's our episode for this week. That brings us to... Oh! Whoa. let's. Before what? we get into our top three, we are also on Apple Podcasts. You Woo! can now find us there, too. So, we're moving up in the world. Our we're listens there. are going right up. Yeah, so um, you can now find us pretty much everywhere you could listen to a podcast. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at PodNever and in our Facebook group at Never For Found Never Forgotten. Okay, done with that. That brings us to this week's T.O.P. 3. Top 3. Goals for the new year. Goals. We're not going to say resolutions. Yeah, we're not going to say resolutions because that's... Let's go one back and forth, back and forth, back, back and forth. Okay, go. Um, Learning how to say no. That's a good one. I need to learn how to say no and be okay with it. I am a, um, oh, what do they call them? A FOMO. Yes. A, fe a fear of missing outer. Like, if I say no, then I'm always like, oh, but, like, look at all the stuff I could have done. Or if I see pictures of people doing what I got invited to, I'm like, ugh. I could have like, been there. You're right. Or Charlotte could have been yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I do I it. Yeah, I totally do it for my kids, too. Like I feel like it's hard as women to say no, that we, we're sort of taught to be people pleasers. and Yeah. So I think... Saying like no. Hard. That's what I'm going to try to get good at. So, um... My number one goal for the new year is to um, 
be more intentional. So every day I'm writing down my intention for the day, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a day. It could be like a week or month thing, but like sort of like something I want to get out of, um, the day. Um, and so, um, being more intentional. <laughs> Go. Um, apparently I also need to get more practicing patience, patience, both at home and at work. Mm -hmm. I just need to remember that people in my lives are little. Well, it's hard when they're pooping their pants all the time. My students do not poop their pants. Well, I'm just saying, like, pooping your pants, being... My baby poops their pants. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> but she's allowed to poop her pants. Um, my number two mm. is also being grateful each day, writing something down that I was grateful for each day. Um, I think I am um, sort of prone to falling into a negative headspace, and so I'm trying to keep it positive by finding something I'm grateful for every single day. As cliche as it sounds, my third is probably, like, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Like, don't... Let it go. Let things make me anxious and worried if they're not going to matter. Like, there's something that says, like, if it's not going to matter in ten years, or even, like, ten days, Mm -hmm. like... Don't let don't it... Don't waste your time. Yeah. Your, your mental time on it. Yeah. And um, I do that. I'm awful at that. It's like and worrying I, if people are mad at me or how do people receive what I said or... And I think I shared with you earlier, like, it takes me out of... <clears throat> it takes me out of, like, really good moments, like moments that we're together or whatever when I'm, like, being anxious about something else. And so, right. Um, my third one is... To work on bringing my lunch to work, um, I often don't even eat lunch. I will snack on something super unhealthy. We are perpetual snackers. Yeah, I'll snack on something super unhealthy. So I'm trying to bring my lunch to work, but I'm also trying to um, not leave crap on my desk either. Like... I would just like bring a bag of snacks and just leave it there. Yeah, we have a mouse at work, and it's totally (laughs) my fault. It hid pretzels in her printer. It hid hid my pretzels in my printer at work. At work, guys. I didn't know my mice could do that, but yeah. So, so I uh, bought a lunch bag that I haven't had a lunch bag in ever, forever. And some reusable Ziploc bags, y'all. Reusable ones? Yeah. You throw Why them in the dishwasher. Why are dish- you so fancy? And then... You throw them in the dishwasher. Yeah. You are turning into Rita. <laughs> Rita? I don't hand... Rita hand washes her Ziploc bags yeah, and reuses Yeah, okay, okay, them. okay. We need to talk about this, though. There's a diff. <laughs> Is there, though? I'm not... Just because yours are marketed to rewash... I'm not rewashing sandwich bags that aren't even <laughs> Ziplocs in my dirty... Why does mom never buy Ziplocs? She buys she those buys fold sandwich. over. Well, and I don't wash them in dirty... Like, the dirty water that I've already washed my load of dishes with. They're going into the dishwasher. With your dirty rag. 
that you my dirty rag. Yeah, I have an issue with wiping down counters with rags. <clears throat> Make Clorox wipes for that. Um, mom doesn't listen to our podcast. Anyhow, that's our episode for today. You might want to edit that out. Yeah, I will. <laughs> you just like to make more work for me. Love you. <clears throat> I'll just keep breathing on you. <laughs> Anyhow, that's Thanks. our episode for this week. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. That wasn't very vivacious. <clears throat> Normally, like, bye. Bye. Okay, bye.